Hello, and welcome to In the Privy Council, a weekly podcast reviewing cases heard before the Judicial Committee of His Majesty's Most Honorable Privy Council, brought to you by the Legal Style Blog. I'm your host, Elijah Granite. This week, we are discussing the Bermudian case of Grandview Private Trust and Wong, the citation for which is 2022 UKPC 47. This case focuses on the question of the improper exercise of a fiduciary power by a trustee. The facts are somewhat complicated, but in essence the case arises from a Bermudian trust called the Global Resource Trust No. 1, that's GRT, created by the wealthy Taiwanese brothers YC and YT Wang, who we'll call the Founders. The beneficiaries of the trust were the children and further descendants of the founders. The trustees of the GRT were also given the power to vary this list of beneficiaries, to include or exclude other objects. The GRT was given control of shares in the Wang family conglomerate worth, at the time of the appeal, approximately £460 million. Subsequently, in 2005, the trustee of the GRT, on input from the founders, determined to remove all the family as beneficiaries, and instead make the sole beneficiary a separate, non-purpose trust created by the founders. In Bermuda, non-purpose trusts are legal, unlike in England. The former beneficiaries of the GRT were naturally upset about this and eventually began proceedings in 2018 for breach of trust over the dissolution of the GRT. The former Chief Justice of Bermuda, Acting Justice Ian Kowali, granted summary judgment, which the Court of Appeal overturned. The case then proceeded to the board. For the board, my lord, Lord Richards of Camberwell, found that the heart of the case was the power given in the deed of trust to vary the beneficiaries. The drafting of the power in the deed of trust was quite wide, making reference to include or exclude any person or class or description of persons as beneficiaries. The question then was if the fiduciary power had been used properly. This question has two dimensions. First, was the use of the power within the scope of the power? That is to say, was the exercise of the power contrary to either the explicit or the implicit terms of the trust deed? Here, despite some energetic submissions from the appellants, the board was satisfied that the drafting was wide enough that the trustee's actions were within the scope of the power. The question then turned to the improper purpose test, historically called uh, the fraud on a power rule. However, the, the board did note that this terminology is to be deprecated because it is misleading, since the so-called fraud on a power does not necessarily actually involve fraud, and indeed could unfairly cast the aspersions of fraud uh, if used to the general public. So the, the improper purpose test, as we shall be calling it for our purposes, is the straightforward idea that a power can only be used by a fiduciary for the purpose for which it is given, and not for any other purpose.
purpose. Determining the purpose of the power is harder, but the board relied in part on the approach outlined by Lord Sumption in Eclairs Group Limited and JKX Oil and Gas PLC, 2015 WLRD 497,SC, that the inquiry as to the purpose is an objective one, as evidenced by either the explicit words of the instrument, or where those are absent or insufficient, deducing it from the aims of the explicit provisions, analysis of the effect of those terms, and application of the relevant business context. There's a comparison here, of course, to the interpretation of contracts. So the respondents to the case argued that the extremely wide language in the power showed the founders wanted to give the GRT trustee essentially carte blanche to do precisely anything the trustee saw fit. However, the board saw this as a misguided approach, because the purpose of the power is to be deduced from the instrument as a whole, not merely the wording of the power. It is normal that trustees are given wide powers, but this cannot prevent the application of the improper purpose rule. Instead, the trust deed as a whole shows the purpose of the settlers was clearly to benefit the family of the two Wang brothers. The schedule of initial beneficiaries are entirely members of the family, and the ultimate beneficiaries are any living members of the family at the end of the trust period. The fact that the founders created two separate trusts, one the General Purpose Trust and one the GRT, shows that they had decided to divide their wealth such that the separate purpose of the GRT was specifically for applying some of that wealth to the family. The creation of two trusts indicates that merging the two, in effect, goes beyond the purpose of the powers given in the GRT trust deed. Thus, the board found that the purpose of the powers was to aid the beneficiaries of the settlement, in whole or in part. However, the board did reject some novel submissions that there was for trusts an absolute, quote, substratum rule, which forbade amendments altering the fundamental nature of the trust. The case law behind this supposed rule, which, anyway, would apply to the settler's power of variation of the trust, rather than the power to vary the beneficiaries, simply did not support it. To the extent that the substratum was relevant, it was within the context of the proper purpose rule, rather than a general absolute rule. Finally, applying these conclusions to the facts of the case, the board rejected, consistent with its views on the substratum theory, the idea that the power to add or exclude class of beneficiaries must only be exercised in the interests of beneficiaries, but rather to instead determine the specific purpose of the power in light of the general context. Thus, in this case, the context showed that the purpose of the trust clearly meant that the power had been improperly used due to its detriment to the beneficiaries. Other cases, however, will depend on their individual context. Turning to our analysis of the case, this is one of those fascinating cases where the board 
rejects a party's reasoning, even as it concludes in their favor. The board was very careful here to avoid setting down any kind of absolutist bright-line rule here, and rejected any notion put forward by counsel for the appellants that there was some sort of absolute limit on all exercises of these kind of carte blanche trust powers. Let's paraphrase the Baroness Hale of Richmond, in law, context is everything. In the wild world of offshore trusts, there's such a mess of different powers and objects, and sometimes no objects at all, that any kind of singular bright-line rule would undermine the flexibility of the trust as an instrument. Instead, the improper purpose test requires a delicate and contextual exercise that involves looking at each trust instrument by its own written terms and doing the weird, semi-fictional task of reverse-engineering the settler's purpose for the power. This is not an easy task. It's not a straightforward task, and it isn't always going to be able to produce clear answers. In other words, it's a quintessential lawyer's task. And if I may editorialize, it is part of the stuff that makes this area of offshore trust law so intellectually exciting. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of In the Privy Council, brought to you by the Legal Style Blog. If you want more legal content, visit our website, legalstyle.co.uk, or follow us on Twitter, at Legal Style Blog. If you have any comments, suggestions, rants, or raves, the email of the podcast is editor at legalstyle.co.uk. We also welcome any reviews on your usual podcast platforms. Until next time, goodbye, and God save the king. <laughs>